Today's reading is Judges 11, verses 30 through 35. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give me the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the door of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from Aror to the neighborhood of Mineth, twenty cities, and as far as Abel Karamim with the great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. And this is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, church. Three of you, good morning. Um, I, uh, I'm wearing black this morning intentionally because my dreams have died. And it's uh, time for a funeral uh, for my Seahawks. So they are, they are not playing. They are not playing. Um, and you will see that reflected in my tone. I am, I'm bitter. I'm angry. And, uh, and, and a guy's sacrificing his daughter this week, so I, I don't know. We're, we're, gonna, we're there. Uh, last week, I actually spoke on the, the victory of God we have in the church, and I came up here last year. So this is, I guess, a thing that I preach on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, and uh, my tone, I, I, I thought that uh, we were going to win back-to-back Super Bowls, and it was going to be this amazing thing. And some of you know that's not exactly what happened. Uh, dreams died then as well. And I still wake up in cold sweats wondering, did that really happen? Uh, we didn't run the ball. And uh, uh, some of you are like, what is he talking about? Um, talk to me later. I might end up in tears. Um, but seriously, uh, if, if you are new, welcome. We're going through Judges. And uh, where we've been these last few weeks is we've been taking this 10,000-foot this um, journey through Judges. And week by week, we've been seeing, as, as these chalkboards say here, that there's no king in Israel. And the people did whatever was right in their own eyes, and that leads to, to, to great trouble. And um, we've been going through this cycle, so if we could get that image up here. And this has really guided our time. And uh, you start with the people sin, which we'll get to in a second. And then uh, oppression comes, judgment comes. Um, they are oppressed typically by foreign peoples. And then they cry out to the Lord, and that's number three. And God delivers them, that's number four, with salvation through the hand of a judge or through a deliverer. And then there's rest in the land. And then the deliverer dies, and they forget the Lord, they sin, and the cycle goes on and on and on and on. And that's been basically every week. Um, and heads up, that's where we're going this week as well. Um, but, but in all seriousness, this, this cycle is not how it, how it ought to be. This is not human flourishing. This is not the life that God intended his people to live. Um, but the good news, guys, as we see here week in and week out, God is patient. He is kind. He is gracious to his people. And he continues to be patient with his stubborn people today, with his faithless people today. And so we should take great comfort in judges seeing we're basically just like them. 
Uh, Our sins might look different. Our idols might look different. But God is faithful then and today. Uh, before we get into it, though, before we jump into the text, uh, if you do not have a Bible, would you please raise your hand? We, we value God's word here. We stood out of reverence and awe of God's word. If you don't have one, we want to get one into your hand, just a Bible that you have. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. And if you do own a Bible, just leave it on the Connect desk on your way out. Um, if you do also would like a Bible in Spanish, just let one of these guys know and we can get one to you. Um, but before we get into this, let me pray. And again, if you need a Bible, just keep those hands up. So let me pray for us, pray for our time, and uh, we'll get rolling here. God, thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you even for these last uh, month or month and a half or so of judges and just getting to see your faithfulness. In a book of the Bible that many of us, we might know a couple characters or a couple stories, but overall, we're not, we're not uh, too familiar with this book. And thank you that you've shaped us. Um, from it. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide us. You wrote this. Uh, You guided the men uh, and women here. Lord, I pray, uh, who wrote this book, I pray that you would guide us now to understand it. Uh, Be with me. Be with my tone. Be with my content. I pray that you would speak through me and that uh, I would decrease and you would increase and we'd love you more uh, and we'd serve you more and we'd understand you more. I pray to this end. In your name. Amen. So where we're going today, uh, if you take notes, I got six points for us. Um, they should be up here. So one, we're going with enslaving gods, incomplete repentance, the outcast, tragic worship, deadly deliverer, and then the refrain, true and better. So I told you I was bitter. I told you I was, I was upset. And, and don't worry, as I prep for this, I did take antidepressants. Um, so you don't need to worry about me. Um, you didn't, though, so I'm worried about you. Um, uh, if you were looking for some encouraging pick-me-up or like, I, I want to hear like something that's going to encourage me and uh, make me feel good, uh, I'm just going to warn you, that's not probably today. Um, civil war, a guy sacrificing his daughter, and death and idolatry. Uh, and we're just in the wrong book for that. Uh, just, we can send you some psalms to, to do as your devotional, and those are great. But we're, just, we're in Judges, and it's messy And it's bloody, it looks like a Quentin Tarantino movie at times, and uh, that's just where we're at. And uh, 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 the reality is, and I hope this this is encouraging, is our world is messy and broken. Our world is not as it ought to be. And uh, the good news is God enters into the mess. God enters into the brokenness. God heals, he restores, and he saves. Amen? All right, let's get to it. Number one, enslaving gods. If you got your Bibles, chapter 10 of Judges, verse 6 is where we're going to start. The people, and it's going to be up on the screen if you don't have one. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Asheroth and the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. Sound familiar? Uh, Right out the gate, again, we know how the story goes. The people of the Lord did what's evil. Uh, the people of God did what's evil in the sight of the Lord. They do what is evil. They abandon the Lord and they serve false gods. And, and they're drawn to idols. They're drawn to these false gods. And, and, and these idols, they enslave. See, sin, it leads to death. Idols lie. They cannot deliver on what they promise. And, and the people of God, they don't believe that God is faithful. They don't believe that God is enough. They don't believe that God is truly good and he truly satisfies because they look to other gods to provide fertility and power and they look to other gods to provide success as well as uh, victory, peace, and pleasure. And the end is destruction. See, when we seek from creation, or when we seek from idols, or when we seek from false gods, 
What only the creator God, the only true God of the Bible can provide, pain is what we get. And you've heard me say this before, don't settle for cheap imitations and false imitations of what you can have full from God alone. Verse 7. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the people of Israel. See, the people of God, they adopt these foreign gods. They neglect God. They turn from God. They say, no thanks, God. You do not deliver. You do not satisfy. You do not provide. And they serve these false gods. And what happens is the peoples whom worship these false gods enslave them. So the very nations whom worship they've adopted enslave them and crush them and oppress them. The people become enslaved to their idols. The people become enslaved to their idols. See, idols promise so much. But idols lie. And, and we've hit on this time and time and time again in Judges. But it, it's just so easy to say, these, these foolish, silly, just, just fickle Israelites, like why don't they just get it? Why do they keep falling into the same stuff again and again and again? And we don't recognize that we do the same thing today. See, idols are, are, are good things that we've made God things. They're good things that we've made ultimate things. They're good things that, uh, uh, they, they, that turn our eyes from God when we make them ultimate things. And, and we're just as prone. This is something we've been hammering on. We're just as prone, if not more prone, to worship idols today. How about the contemporary gods of comfort and security and pleasure and approval and control and power, family, independence, and success. All or some, I know, are hitting home for everybody in the room. Do you see these as your functional hope? Do you see these as an end to which you're striving? Or do you seek God and trust God to be your comfort, your security, and your approval? See, this is a gospel issue, guys. We've talked about this before. For the one who has surrendered their life to Christ, you are in Christ. Let's take something like approval, to which we all struggle to varying degrees. See, if you are in Christ, you have all the approval you could ever desire, that you could ever need. See, in Christ, you are a son or you are a daughter of God. Yes? See, in Christ, you are loved, you are accepted, and you are approved of. See, if you do not believe that, and if you don't live life out of that identity, an identity you did not earn and you did not achieve, but you received, if you do not live out of that identity, one that says you are approved because of Christ, then you will seek approval in a lover. You will seek approval in an employer. And you will seek approval from a social media account. You will, you have to. And the gospel says that what you're looking for, Christ is the true. Christ is the better. Christ is the one who delivers, and he offers a true and a lasting and a better approval than you could ever find in anything from creation. Take something with pleasure, same thing. Do you, do you, do you believe Psalm 1611? And I, I encourage you to commit this verse to memory, that, that the psalmist says that in your presence, O God, there's fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you believe that? Because if you do, you won't settle for lesser joys on a screen or a person or an experience or a product. 
You won't because you believe that at God's right hand, in his presence, in his wills, in his way, and obeying him, there will be pleasures forevermore. Don't settle for lesser joys. See, the gospel, it changes us. The gospel reveals idols for what they truly are. They reveal, it reveals false gods for what they truly are. Liars and imitators and cruel slave masters. And they cannot deliver. Jumping into our context here in Judges, um, the people of God, they forget God. They don't know God. They, they reject God and they choose to worship and serve false gods. They sin against God. And then they're oppressed and, and, and enslaved by these false gods. And so what do they do? They cry out to God. They cry out to God. But, but they have this false motivation. And it brings us to our second point, if you're taking notes. An incomplete repentance. Let's pick it up in uh, chapter 10, verse 10. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have forsaken our God, and we have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, from the Ammonites and from the Philistines? The Sidonians also, and the Amalekites and the Moanites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I saved you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. The people of God, they cry out to God. But God says he will deliver and save them no more. He says, let those other gods whom you've trusted, who you think will deliver you, who you think will satisfy you, who you think will save you, let them save you. Let them deliver you. Let them satisfy. God hands the people over to their false gods. God hands them over to their sin. God hands them over to their idolatry. This is the same language Paul uses uh, to the church in Rome in Romans 1 when he says, God is handing them over to their sin. And I need you to hear me. This is both judgment and love. You know, you wonder how. Uh, uh, judgment might be pretty easy to see. Um, for most of us in the room. He's handing them over to something which cannot satisfy. We, we can see the judgment there. Uh, he's handing them over to something that cannot save. We see the judgment. Um, he's saying he's not going to save them now. But this is also incredibly loving. And I, I want you to understand how. Um, he is letting them experience the reality that he alone can save. He's letting them experience this firsthand. God is revealing that these false gods, he's letting them experience that these false gods cannot deliver and that their end is death. God is saying, you guys just don't get it. You're saying the right things. You, you might even be performing the right things, but you need to experience the non-saving, the non-delivering, the non-satisfying nature of these false gods to get that God is truly God. This is, this is like the person that just has to hit rock bottom to get it. Uh, some of you are that, like you were that person, you are that person. Some of you are walking in that right now. Uh, uh, for me, I, I worked with college students before I was here at Redemption, and I would see this all the time. And I went to a school in Northern California that was kind of known for being a, a culture of being a, a party school and worked with college students. And we just see all the time students coming in who, who just hit rock bottom, had nowhere else to turn, and they would turn to Jesus. And one of my best friends in college, this was his story. He grew up in the church, got involved um, here at, the, at that university, and just dove into the party scene with both feet in, just dove into this. And uh, uh, he believed 
in so many ways that, that partying and that approval and that women and that alcohol and that these experiences would satisfy, they would save and they would deliver and they would give him what he needed. They were his functional God. And one day, uh, and, he, and he dove into this, experienced it to the full. And he woke up one morning in a pool of his own vomit, um, not knowing what happened the previous night. And, he, and I remember us talking and he said, and in his own words, not exactly this. My God betrayed me. It lied. It, it didn't deliver on what it promised. You would never wish this upon anybody. But this moment is what it took to turn him to Jesus. He said, this doesn't satisfy. Jesus does. And so you would never wish this upon anybody. But sometimes that's what it takes. And how loving of God to take us there. How loving of God to be in it with us in that moment. How loving of him to reveal to us that he alone can save, rescue, satisfy, and deliver. Pick it up in verse 15. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Don't miss this. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And he, God, became impatient over the misery of Israel. Um, this, this, this point is called incomplete repentance. See, Israel puts away their false god, they repent, and, and this is good. I don't want just, to just throw Israel like under the bus. They couldn't do anything right ever to any degree. Like casting aside and turning away from idols is a good thing. Uh, it's right and it's true, but it's incomplete what's happening here. Uh, notice what's fueling the people's repentance. I don't know if you caught that, but it's, it's a change of circumstance. Look what they say. They say, only like, whatever happens, whatever needs to happen, do, do whatever, but only deliver us this day. See, the people, they're primarily, uh, they primarily hate the consequence of sin more than they hate sin. They primarily hate the, the circumstance more than they hate their own sin. See, the cry is not one of hatred of sin. Their cry is not one of disgust with idolatry. The cry is not one of sadness and grief over their faithlessness to the Lord. No, it isn't fueled by a fear of the Lord even. What it's fueled by is a fear of the nations and a desire to see circumstances change. This repentance is incomplete. And this hits really close to home. I mean, we got to be honest with ourselves. Are we more concerned and troubled with the consequences of sin than we are with sin itself? Are we more concerned with how badly this makes us feel than how badly it costs Jesus on the cross? See, are we more concerned with how this sin will affect us, what it will say about us, than how it will grieve God? Are we more concerned that we've let ourselves down and we've let others down than we are that this Sin is what Jesus had to die for. We've got to do some hard work in our hearts and say, do we actually hate sin or do we just hate the consequences? Are we ashamed to display our need for the gospel in all of life? But as we see here, God, he, he's merciful and he's gracious and he doesn't give up on his people. God is moved again by their, by their cries for help and their spotty repentance. This is incredibly encouraging to me. That he's moved by a cry that says, get me out of this. God is so gracious. Don't miss that. Judges is a story of God's grace. Giving people what they don't deserve. 
He is, he is so gracious to them. The people of God do not deserve this. They do not deserve him moving and, and, saying, and, 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 and saving them throughout the book and then will, going to save them uh, here coming up. He gives his people far more than they ever deserve. In our context, judges, they're, they're concerned that this people of, of the, the Ammonites, they're going to oppress them. And they want to be delivered. And they're wondering who's going to deliver them. If you have your Bible, you could look at verse 18 there. And, and this brings us back to the cycle in so many ways, uh, which we got here. And, and we said this is like a toilet uh, bowl, if you will. It just keeps getting uglier and uglier and it's taking you to a place you don't want to go the further in you get. And so far, this, this cycle, um, it's been pretty clean. Um, pun intended. And uh, uh, we see the people sin. Um, thank you to the three of you. That, that was funny. Um, they sin. They're oppressed. They cry out. It's, it's pretty true to form. But, but here is where the cycle starts to break down. Here's where the toilet gets a clog and it's about to get real messy. Time to get the plunger and uh, see what happens. Um, the people don't trust the Lord to raise up a deliverer. Um, before, they've sought the Lord and said, uh, we're going to wait on your deliverance, we're going to wait for your people, and God appoints a judge, and they deliver the people. Uh, but here, the people raise up their own deliverer. They raise up their own judge, and this is huge, guys. The people once sought the Lord, and now he isn't even in the picture on their decision-making. Uh, they've said the right things, they're repenting, but clearly they're relying on their own uh, deliverance, their own power, and their own agenda, and their own actions. They don't wait on the Lord. They don't trust in his delivering. They don't trust in his saving. And, and this leads to huge problems. We can't miss that in this whole story, Jephthah is the first deliverer who's not appointed by the Lord. And, and that leads to huge problems. So let's meet our judge, Jephthah. Uh, number three, if you're taking notes, the outcast. Turn to chapter 11, verse 1. Just going to look at this one verse. Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah. The people of God, they need a deliverer. And, and through a series of events that I don't have time to get into, Jephthah gets appointed. And, and again, God doesn't raise him up. He was an outcast by his family because he's the son of a prostitute. And so they cast him out. And, and he finds himself with what the Bible calls worthless fellows. Uh, in case you didn't know this, that's not a good thing. Um, worthless fellows are the community this guy keeps, it says. Um, one commentator says he's kind of like a historic mob boss type, cartel sort of, not the coffee hipsters, um, like the, the mob cartel type person. And uh, the people of God, I mean, they're, they're like, this guy, let's put him in charge. Like, worthless fellows, punks, thugs, this is the guy we want to lead us. Um, and they put him in charge, and uh, then, as you can imagine, not good things happen out of that. And so, so Jephthah, our judge, is sent out to negotiate with the Ammonites, and they refuse his terms of peace. War starts, and uh, 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 Jephthah decides before going to war he's going to seek the Lord, which at first sounds good, but he's not going to seek the Lord to wait on the Lord. He's going to go seek the Lord and tell the Lord what's going to happen. He's going to go seek the Lord and say, hey, here's, here's what we're going to do, God. Here's the negotiation. Here's, I just uh, tried to negotiate terms of peace with the people. Now I'm going to go and negotiate with you, God. He tries to bargain with the God of the universe. And in case you didn't know, that, that, that's not a good thing, and that leads to big problems. Um, and goes to our fourth point. It leads to tragic worship. Pick it up in verse 30 of chapter 11. And, and, and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out 
from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Jephthah tries to manipulate God to give him victory with a vow. See, he thinks he can manipulate God with his behavior. The vow is that if God will give Jephthah victory over this people, then he will give whatever comes out of his house as a sacrifice and as a burnt offering to the Lord. See, he's saying, God, if you give me this, I'll give you that. He's saying, what he is saying here shows that he has no idea who God is. He has no idea who God is. See, the way he tries to serve God shows he has no idea who God is. And I don't want us to miss this. God never approves this. A prophet never shows up and says, yep, this is what's going to happen. No no sign is given. God is silent at this. Never approves this vow. He never agrees to the terms. Jephthah just declares it. He says, here's what we're doing, God. The arrogance is astounding. And, And the tragic thing is Jephthah has no concept of a God of grace. And this really informs everything, guys. His his paradigm of God is built around, you do good things for God and God will do good things for you. You bless God, God's going to bless you. You know, you serve God, God's going to serve you. You scratch God's back, he's going to scratch your back. You know, that's his paradigm for who God is. And this informs everything. He views God as an exchanger, as a negotiator, as somebody who you achieve things for. And many of us, if we're honest, we come to God with the same posture, in the same way. We think we can manipulate God by our behavior. God, if you give me this, I'll give you that. We think we're made right. Or at the very least, we think we stay right with God. But what we do or do not do for him. See, we think if we don't smoke, if we don't drink... If we don't watch those movies, if we don't listen to that music, if we don't partake in those parties, you know, if we go the way of legalism, if we can just pray enough, if I just have time with the Lord consistently enough, if I just read my Bible and maybe even read the whole thing in a year, you know, if I just don't have sex before marriage, if I give to the poor, if I'm a good person, you know, if, I just, if I'm just tolerant enough, if I just can evangelize enough, if I give a whole 10%, maybe even 11, you know, if I can just not look at that, Whatever that is for a whole month. If I can just sacrifice my life. If I just go into ministry. If I give up my, my future and my career and serve the Lord as a missionary or pastor. You know, if I could just, just send my kids to this Christian school. If I can just raise my kids this certain way. You know, if I just provide for my family enough. You know, if I can just impress God. If I can just wow God. If I can just perform for God. Then God will have to give me the life I want. Then God has to bless, bless me. And then he, he will have to give me what I want because God owes me. I kept up my end of the deal. Now, God, it's time to keep up your end of the bargain. Guys, there's a world of a difference. I mean, these things are diametrically opposed to one another. There's a world of a difference between obeying and serving God out of a loving and grateful response to God versus obeying and serving God. Doing the things I just listed, because I think those are the things we're called to do and the things we're called to embody and the things that we are called to be as the people of God. Don't confuse me. But if we're doing these things, obeying and serving God, to use as a bargaining chip against God, to get things from God and to hold over God, 
to use against God. You're revealing that God was never your treasure. You're revealing that God was never truly God for you. See, you were merely using God as the key to unlock what you truly desired. And whatever that is, that's your God. That's your God. It's what you desired all along. And hear me, God will not play games. He is not a means to an end. He is not a spiritual vending machine. He is Lord over all. And he will not be reduced to anything less than that. These things are totally opposed. Doing and serving and being as a response to God versus try to earn something and to use against God to get the life you want. Don't miss that. See, Jephthah, he tries to make a huge promise, a huge offering, a huge sign of commitment. He tries to impress God. Wow, God. He tries to appease God. This is slavery. It's nothing less than that. It is slavery. And ultimately, it ends in death. See, Jephthah does defeat the Ammonites. God graciously delivers his people, but it's not because of a vow Jephthah made. It's because of his gracious character and his loving kindness to his people. He doesn't do it because of Jephthah's vow. He doesn't condone it. He doesn't uh, agree to it. But, but proud Jephthah returns home. Blind Jephthah returns home. And let's see what happens. Verse 34. <coughs> Excuse me. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah. And behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord and I cannot take back my vow. That last line. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord and I cannot take back my vow. Jephthah doesn't know who God is. And he doesn't know God's word. You may be wondering, how do I know this? Um, He thinks he has to keep his vow. He thinks he has to keep up his bargain. He thinks he has to negotiate and sacrifice his daughter by burning her alive as a burnt offering to honor God. See, Jephthah doesn't know God. He doesn't know who God is because he hasn't read his his Bible. Two reasons I know this. One, Jephthah is going to commit an abominable sin, something that God says he hates explicitly in Leviticus chapter 20. It says child sacrifice and human sacrifice is clearly forbidden And it's even punishable by death in Leviticus 20, is what what the context was. And and the second reason I know that he doesn't know his his word, and he hadn't read his word, he hadn't meditated on it, he hadn't memorized it, he didn't know it, was if a vow would result in sin, like sacrificing your daughter to keep a vow, the vow could be non-binding. You could get out of it. Leviticus chapter 5 said this. And I just want to be very, 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 very clear here. He doesn't have to do this by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, he's commanded not to do this. Like, there have been things written in the law of God to make sure this doesn't happen. When somebody says something stupid, says something foolish, it didn't have to happen. And what's what's tragic here, I don't have time to get into all of it, is Jephthah's daughter encourages them to follow through with it. Like, she's deceived too. Jephthah taught his daughter this crap, and so she's just continuing it on. She doesn't know who God is either. And you just see this generational sin, this generational ignorance of God. They don't know who God is. They don't know his word. And and she goes away for two months to mourn. And Jephthah's got time to do the right thing. 
He's got two months. Like, that's like Thanksgiving. Like, till now. He's got two months to say, read it. Like, I'd be combing through. Say, is there any way I can get out of it? Like, but what does Jephthah do? Verse 39. And at the end of two months, he returned, she returned to her father, who did with her according to the vow that he had made. Jephthah kills his daughter. He sacrifices his daughter thinking this will make God happy. It's, it's, it's tragic, guys. See, see, false worship isn't just sad. It isn't just inconvenient. It isn't just unfortunate. It is deadly. Trying to serve God without knowing who God is, it's deadly. Jephthah doesn't know God, he doesn't know his word, or if he does, he has such an elementary understanding that his actions are just clearly demonstrating he doesn't have a full understanding of who God is. See, Jephthah ultimately, don't miss this, Jephthah ultimately tries to worship God like he's one of the pagan gods. Jephthah tries to worship Yahweh like he's Baal, with over-the-top, ludicrous, crazy, uh, uh, just outlandish sacrifice, and it ends in death. See, Jephthah could have said no, he could have said no. He should have said no. He was commanded to say no. And, and, and he could have just faced the consequence, whatever those might have been. We have no idea what those might have been. And, and don't miss this. Like, it's always the right time to do the right thing. It's always the right time to do the right thing. And, and he would rather, Jephthah would rather, certainly kill his daughter than potentially face danger. He would rather certainly kill his daughter than potentially face consequences. The, the, the selfishness the, the blindness, the absurdity is staggering. It is staggering. It is shocking. And some commentators have said, there is no way he did this. There is no way he would have done this. There is no way this happened. And they try to do these interpretational gymnastics to get Jephthah out of this. And, and, and that's the point. It is shocking. It is staggering. It is unheard of. It is abominable. It is disgusting. The people of God are performing child sacrifice out of a trying to worship God with child sacrifice. It's disgusting. It's unheard of. See, something called the canonization of Israel is in full effect. And, and what do I mean by that? I mean that, that Israel, the people of God, look just like Canaan, or they look just like the pagan people who follow the false gods and don't know God. The people of God are living like they have no idea who God is. See, they have lost their identity. They, they were supposed to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to look different. They, they were supposed to be a blessing to the nations. You see, they were supposed to model what human flourishing looks like under the rule and reign of God. And what Jephthah is saying is when you follow God, your kid dies. He's saying something incredibly false about who God is. The people of God were called to individually and communally and systemically say something true about who God is. There's supposed to be a light. There's supposed to be an attraction to the nations. Uh, their father Abraham was told, out of you all the nations are going to be blessed. And they have completely strayed from this identity. And instead of being a light, instead of displaying what human flourishing looks like under God's lordship, they simply look like a mirror to the broken world. They simply look like a mirror to the sinful world. And in church, we got to take a hard look at ourselves. we got to take a hard look at ourselves individually and communally. We're called to be the same thing. 
We're called to be a display people. Do we look it? Do we embody good news? Or do we look like we're just after the same things, hoping for the same stuff? See, does our lives, does your life demand a gospel explanation? Something a, a pastor says. Does your life, does my life, does our life demand a gospel explanation? Are we loving each other with such a radical cross-centered love that people are like, what is going on? Or is our life not like any different? We're called to be a light to the nations. We're called to be a light to our culture around us. We're not called to be a mirror just reflecting it. And I'm not saying we're separate. I'm saying we're, we're, we're in it. I'm saying that we're a light to it. And this is our identity. We're called to say something true about who God is in all of life, in word and deed. That's who we are. That's who we're called to be. And the tragedy of Jephthah is not just the one death, but really one death, this, this, this scenario leads to 42,000. I'll repeat that, 42,000 deaths. Brings us to our uh, point number five. Deadly deliverer. See, after the victorious battle against the Ammonites at the end of the last chapter, uh, a tribe of, of Israel called Ephraim, I don't have time to get into what that means and kind of how the tribes worked or anything like that, but this tribe of Israel, so one of the people of God, is furious they weren't called on to fight the Ammonites. And uh, they actually uh, go, go to war and fight against Jephthah, and Jephthah crushes Ephraim, crushes them. 42,000 men die of Ephraim, and it leads to the virtual annihilation of a tribe of Israel. Uh, go to chapter 12, verse 6, and you'll see, you'll see the kind of where Scripture says this. So, then they seized him and slaughtered him at the fords of the Jordan. This is what, uh, uh, this is what Jephthah was doing to the people of Ephraim, uh, just systematically slaughtering them. And at that time, 42,000 of the Ephraimites fell. Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in the city of Gilead. The sad irony is that the judge, the deliverer, if you will, who the people appointed, they said, this is the guy who we want to lead us. This deliverer, the people chose to lead them, kills more Israelites and, and ultimately causes more destruction than the foreign oppressors ever did in this era. It's just tragically ironic. The people of God, they're, they're fractured here at the end of Jephthah's uh, judging. And Ephraim never plays a significant role in Israel's history again. They're virtually annihilated. In, in Jephthah's story, you'll notice there's something missing that most of the cycles had. It's rest. The land doesn't experience rest. The people don't experience rest. It just ends with him dying. And we're left wondering, what's God going to do? Things have spiraled just out of control. And guys, as we kind of approach closing here, there is good news. God is on the move. He is faithful when his people are faithless. He is on the move. And it's, it's almost nauseating and annoying how much God saves his people. They keep sinning and he keeps giving them grace again and again and again and again and again and again. Like it's, it's staggering how much grace God will give his people. He will not give up on his people. He does not give up on his people today as well when we fall short and when we're faithless and we abandon him. See, he does not give up on us when we fall short and disappoint. And ultimately, good news, guys, we come to this 
every week. Good news is found in Jesus. See, he came to satisfy the wrath of God. He came to defeat sin. He came to give us the life through his death on the cross. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is our last point, the true and the better. Let us read this final verse. You don't have to turn there. It'll be up on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Read that again uh, with, with defining who the he's are. For our sake God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. And Jephthah thought his relationship with God was built around an exchange. And the crazy part is, it is. Just not the exchange he ever imagined. Just not the exchange he ever would have dreamed of. We do not come to God hands full, ready to impress, seeking to prove, trying to earn, trying to achieve by laying something down on the altar to offer to God. God does not play that game. All we bring to the table in our relationship with God is sin. That's all we bring. And the good news is God takes it and he took it on the cross. See, Jesus dies in our place for our sin, paying the punishment you and I deserve. That is good news. We do not achieve anything, church, but we receive everything. We do not achieve anything. And this goes against everything we're striving for. But we receive everything in Christ. Jesus exchanges himself on the cross. That, that great exchange analogy. Jesus takes all of our sin, all of our filth, all of our punishment, all of our sin on the cross and gives us his life and his righteousness and his perfection and his record. He takes our brokenness and gives us his life. What an exchange. What good news. We do not earn this. We receive it. Jesus dies, but the grave could not hold Jesus. Amen? He rose again on the third day, affirming and confirming that he defeated sin, he defeated death, he has conquered sin, that he is the ultimate victory over sin, Satan, and death, and he will come again to bring ultimate restoration. And see, Jesus gives the greater exchange. Jesus gives the better exchange. Jesus gives the eternal exchange. He doesn't call you to lay something down on the altar for him. He says, no, I will lay myself down for you and die. See, he gives us peace. With God. I don't want us to miss this. We can never, never, never miss this. This exchange, it's all grace. All grace. Always grace. Forever grace. This Jesus, our Jesus, gives the true and the better exchange. His death results in our life. His suffering results in our flourishing. What a glorious, what a gracious what a loving exchange it is, amen? Let us respond together to our Savior and our King Jesus. God, thank you that you give a better exchange, that you don't call us to lay something down on the altar to prove anything. You say you're gonna die for us, to bring us in. And now we're called son or daughter. You don't just leave us in the courtroom, you bring us into the living room. You say we're part of your family. Lord, I pray that we would respond to you now, that we respond uh, out of the truths of these gospels, that we would just live in light of this. We would respond to this. We would, we would receive this. And we would live all of life, all for you, Jesus, never trying to achieve, never trying to earn anything, but just receiving it all, responding to you. Lord, kill the pride in us. Lord, any of us that might think we could earn anything. We don't want what we deserve. We deserve death. 
Give us grace. Our plea is grace. Our cry is grace. Give us grace. Thank you that all you've given us is grace. Thank you for the book of Judges being just a testament of your long-suffering and your grace. Let it be an encouragement to us that you do not look at us uh, with a checklist saying, I hope you keep it up. But you say in Christ, we are approved of, we are accepted, we are loved, we have all the victory we could ever need. Helps to live all of life in light of this. We love you, we thank you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.